Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Today's guest is Jeff Ulrich. Jeff received divine healing and gifts from three miracles, and he's had two near-death experiences. And today we're going to learn about them. Jeff, thank you so much for being my guest. I really appreciate you, and welcome. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. All right, let's start here, Jeff. At nine months old, you were miraculously healed of blindness at a church service. That's fine. And uh, and hopefully by the end, Jeff, you'll understand why uh, Matthew eighteen ten is so relevant because you know that says that uh, you know take heed you do not despise little ones for I say that in heaven their angel sees the face of the sees the face of my Father who is in heaven. So, um, so in nineteen sixty six I was born from a condition that's called ocular albinism, and my hair was bleach white, and until my early adulthood I can I mean I could never tan. I mean I would sunburn quite easily. And, uh, you know, albinism, um, it will cause the retina to deform right out of the starting gate. And that's exactly what happened to me. And within a few days of my birth, my parents began to wonder if I could see. And, uh, when they like quietly walk into my room and, and approach my crib, I, I just wouldn't look at them. I'd just be looking straight, you know, gazing straight up and, but they'd make a noise or speak my name. I jerked as though I, they completely surprised me. So, um, my eyesight problem became so evident that like after four months, they took me to an eye doctor who did confirm my condition that I just, uh, described. So, you know, just during that period, briefly, I learned to crawl and walk without sight. We had a little chihuahua, the chihuahua would run around the house and I'd be tracking him, you know, be listening to him and I chase him behind the couch and went under the kitchen table. And mom said the only, the first, you know, I only had to like hit my head once on the kitchen table to learn to slide underneath it. So I learned to sort of get a sense of awareness without seeing. Um, she said I was very attentive to the sound. I listened to the piano. I'd play a note until it would stop ringing. I mean, just until the string would just go down to less than a pin drop. And uh, she even said that uh, like about eight months old, right? Um, I was in the car and, and, and to their surprise, you know, most kids at that point are saying mommy, daddy. And I, I, I looked at her and I said, what's that noise? <laughs> and, uh, and, what happened was that a couple of days later, even though they didn't hear anything, the car went kaplunk. It stopped. Something happened with the engine. And uh, so apparently I started learning to what, what was a normal sound and not a normal sound. I, I detected something, the change in the rhythm of the engine. And I still do that to this day. It drives, drives my wife crazy when I, when I pick up something like that. But I went to um, the, they took me to the eye doctor at nine months because the sight thing wasn't changing. And he, uh, you know, he, he looked at me and he told them that I'd be going to the resident blind school. And back in 1966, that would be um, about four years old. I would go there and I would stay like three months at a time or whatever period of time it would be and, you know, get to life skills. And, and, you know, they were, you know, they were sad about it because in 1966, just the idea of having, you know, a child with a sight problem, the, there wasn't that, that hopefulness, right. Um, schools were different and all that, that day. So it wasn't a very optimistic picture. So they, um, but a week later, uh, they we went to a um, they went to a, a what was a Wesleyan church, a very fundamental church, and uh, 
And after the music service, uh, they both, the way the story goes, uh, they both looked at each other at the same time and said, we need to have him anointed. And, you know, they apparently got that signal at the same time. So they took me forward and the pastor there, um, he wasn't charismatic. He was actually very, um, he never claimed that he was the healer. He was always saying that, you know, whenever he anointed and whenever there was a healing, he would credit, you know, the faith of the person and, and uh, the father in heaven. So um, he, they did an anointing. Uh, they prayed around me, the elders. And um, when my parents took me back to the pew after that, um, what they, they saw that I was, um, the first thing they saw, I don't know if you can see my fist, but they, they said, I put my hand up to my face and I was like looking cross-eyed at it. And of course my eyes had never been able to focus, but something was going on. And I started touching buttons and, and uh, there, there was such a distraction. Everybody started noticing this and the way the story goes that there was no sermon that night. And the, 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 the congregation just sat around, observed quietly. And my father described sort of a holy stillness that was going on. Everybody was really moved. And they sat around for an hour and watching it, what I was doing. And people just sort of gradually dismissed themselves. And um, they, I mean, throughout my youth, there were those, there were those who sometimes recalled to me that time when I suddenly started to see, and I've since then I've gathered, I've talked to some of those peer, those people. In fact, the pastor's son, who was a teenager at that time, he's still alive. And, he remembered this account. But after we got home from church, they noticed right away as they were going down the hallway, I was reaching out and touching pictures on the wall, and I was trying to grab the thermostat and try to mess with the dial. And, you know, so so here we go. Um, I'm curious, and I want to touch things. So that was um, that was definitely notable, and they took me to the eye doctor, I think, within a week or so after that. And they didn't really tell him what was going on. Um, he just, he sat down and examined me, and got up close and had a little light on his head. And, and they said, I reached out and sort of stat, you know, slapped him or pushed him or something. And he like, Whoa. And he grabs my hands and he goes, what's going on here. And he gets down in my looking in my eyes and he sits back and he said, you know, last, last time I saw him his retina, we're like, they just weren't there. He can maybe, maybe distinguish some light and darkness, but he can see, he can't see what he can't see. Great. But um, uh, he, he can see, and um, he'll probably be able to, uh, go to public school now and and so on i, I mean i nowadays at blind schools they'll see have people like me with low sight but back then it was either blind or you go to public school so he told my parents to put me through the normal paces don't pamper me or make any special accommodations and he'll find his own way <laughs> and uh, so just in summary so the way the way i see him you can see i'm looking at the monitor right now but I'm very adapted. I mean, the scope of it is that's like acute nearsightedness. It's accompanied with light sensitivity. That's my Mr. Magoo orange glasses. And there's a lot of involuntary eye movement. Um, they don't move a lot now because I've adapted to that. But my vision is effectively very distorted. And uh, and uh, but I've had uh, I've been well adapted. And but but there's by other means I've got. I've had, seems like I've had help from above as well. And, and you'll soon hear how that goes. That was an amazing story. You said you were born with ocular albinism, right? Yes. And it sounded like you had some traces of just general albinism. Would, would you say that's true? Yes. Um, I mean, the, the characteristics being the, like the bleach blonde hair and the, the skin was like mm -hmm. really pale. and I burn easily. Some of that's, like worn off. I'm not sure exactly how that works, but I mean, my hair is still blonde, but 
it used to be bleach blonde mm-hmm. and I don't burn as easily as I used to, although I still burn. Mm-hmm. I just got over a sunburn actually. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and it's the kind of thing, it's like a throwback, like through my mom's side, like four generations skips forward and there's like a DNA clash mm-hmm. of some kind in parents that triggers this kind of birth defect. Are your irises also kind of pinkish because the, you know, like the blue doesn't come through or they look blue. No, they're, they're, they're blue. It's yeah. um, ocular albinism is, I would say it's a tribute to like a hint, you know, a hint of albinism mm-hmm. and, uh, and, 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 but uh, it's not like I have, you know, pink eyes or anything mm-hmm. like that, but, mm-hmm. and, and the stagmas, something called the stagmas. I don't know if you can see my eyes, but you can see they cross. Yeah. I, I, yeah. If I'm looking at my left eye, right. The right eye will cross and vice versa. Yeah. It's that, interesting that was totally out of control up until I was 16 and Mm -hmm. it used to just constantly back and forth all the Mm -hmm. time. So Mm -hmm. have you ever tried to, or wanted to correct your eye muscles with surgery or anything like that? Or, well, there, there's normally a surgery to do them to correct the nystagmus, but by the 16, uh, by the time I was 16 to my, to that same low vision doctor's amazement, I had through all the use of my eyes and strain on my eyes, had managed to force my eye muscles to do this. He said, you did naturally what normally we have to do through surgery. Oh, okay. But there is no correction. There's no surgery you can do about retinal mm-hmm. problems. Mm-hmm. That's, that's uh, even to this day. Right. I don't know if you ever, your parents ever asked the doctor, but is this um, oc- retinal albinism, I guess that's what you called it, is that Ocular something? That, is that something that usually is never self cures or never you know resolves self? Like what happened? You know, or does it only happen like you know, like a miracle like you had? Well, I'm told by I was told by the actual doctor, and I had him for 30 years of my life. Um, mm-hmm. He you know he explained to me that normally retina would not develop like that. Like after nine months, I mean, I mean that may be up to nine months, but um, this was such a leap. It went from what was nothing to this and you know now that i'm older you said you know you mentioned you're about my age now but you remember after you get 40 <laughs> you start to get harder to focus so right. it's i've got that natural thing that happens too right. but i had enough sight mm-hmm. that um you know i i, I mean I, I can never i was never able to drive a car i'd never be able to qualify for a driver's license but i'm I'll, i was going to share some of this in a bit but i have a I was so um, determined. I actually took driver's ed and passed it. <laughs> oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah, it was a wild ride. Mm. Like, literally. <laughs> Did you ever confide to the doctor that the reason that you had the healing was because of what happened in church? Yes, my parents did that right away. And mm-hmm. um, as it goes with doctors, you know, doctors see things. And he, you know, they were faithful. He didn't mind telling them that he says, you know, I've seen things and I believe in such divine healing. So he didn't discount it at all. You know, doctors see things, cancer disappear out of the blue. Sometimes they can't explain the unexplainable healing. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and we know in the Bible that, that Christ was described to heal people of the blind, the blindness. Right. So. right. All right. Before we move on here, one last question. I just want to, I think I know, but I just want to clear it up because I'm not, I don't know all, um, the terminology of church and religion and the Bible. When you said they, you were anointed, that word means just that people pray over you. Is that what that means? I mean, that's the, that's the most important thing. There is a, um, there is a, a matter, a matter of taking oil and they'll, they'll touch the head, 
But see, in the Bible, um, there's a story of a woman who was healed, and she reached out and touched Christ's robe. He turns around, and, you know, he, he like, who touched me? And and she was healed, but and and she was you know praising him. But the, the way the story goes, he turns around, and he goes, "By your faith, you were healed." Okay. So, I mean, that is sufficient, but, you know, there is a practice in, in that fundamental church, and uh, the prayer is, the power was in the prayer, and the righteous prayers, people who believed that way, like that woman in the Bible. That makes it very interesting, because you were at an age where it wasn't about you, you know what I mean? You weren't praying. I was so, before the age of accountability, mm-hmm. and I was innocent. And you know, as we go in here, things have like that happen for a purpose, yet and, you know, that was later realized. All right. Let's go on to the next significant thing that happened to you. I have to lead up to this a little bit because you won't, um, I mean, to fully appreciate mm-hmm. the significance of the first and even the second NDE, you'll, you'll just need to know some aspects of my early backstory and some of the good, some of the bad. And, and it's not woe is me or tell all, but there's just a contrast that unless you hear some of this, um, you couldn't fully understand what they did for what those NDEs did for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the good, um, as I learned to adapt, you know, by very early by chasing and talk, and I figured out ways to do other things like um, catch a baseball. Um, and and I I in my book I actually say mentioned something about you only have to get hit so many times by a baseball before you start to learn some, you know, uncanny way to catch it. And I'll never forget the first time I did that. Um, I, I, like playing dodgeball, and uh, you know, where you bunch of guys and balls in the gym and you're like going crazy but it was like it was like what you know remember the matrix and neo dodging a bullet um that i mean i would be amped up and and i just could have a 360 degree you know image of what was going on around me i was just very hyper acute um i and i mentioned the driver's ed thing i passed that and i would you believe i even tried to join the air force i was so bold (laughs) um but you know, by eight years old, um, my mom had me learn to play a trumpet at, ear at, ch- at church or by ear at church and just jump in there because I couldn't read the hymns. And she was a musician, too. So and and you can imagine, but you will later how this was the beginning of something very vital to my spiritual well-being. But um, people say that, you know, other senses compensate. Um, and that's a little bit of a myth, because but if you only have a sight issue and you have like my kind of conditioning, uh, let's just say that. Um, it, it, my other, my other senses work for me, but suffice for now that, um, I'm going to tell you there's other, there were other forces at work in my case, even, you know, even helping me learn how to do things like catch a baseball instead of getting bean. Um, and I felt that I, I feel that more in, in hindsight as I look back. So, um, now to the bad, just some unfortunate challenges again, not what was me, but you got to understand the chaos I was coming from. Um, I mean, corporal punishment was a big thing back in school. You're about my age. You know what I'm talking about. And, you know, you would, I mean, heavy discipline. Um, and at that time, there weren't like all these accommodations they have for special needs nowadays. You just thrown in and, and that was it. Um, the, some of the symptoms of my struggles were often viewed and treated as behavioral problems. So I'd be sitting, imagine a first grader sitting in a class and they re- ask you to recite. I couldn't recite from the board. I couldn't see it, but I wouldn't say anything because I would, you know, just dummy up. And that was a behavioral problem. And so they'd go down 10 wax on a, with a hard beveled paddle. So I'll just say corporal punishment going forward, but that's what it was like. And that makes you a target for bullying. I mean, heavy bullying, even for the staff. I mean, it's just, um, I mean, occasion I dared to fight back, um, especially once when I raged and took down a bully who was much bigger than me. And I do mean raged. I mean, you just, you just had enough. But the retaliation of punishment back then from all sides, including from staff, was just so severe. 
um, I just felt like I couldn't win there. And, and, and um, all I could do is survive and just try to keep my head down. So you can imagine my anxiety um, as well as compulsive thoughts and behaviors that ensued from all that stress and you know, trauma. Um, I mean, I, would, I was perpetually reflective of past events. And there's a term here, I don't know if you've ever heard of hyperthymesia, but um, I just pulled up a, an internet definition to make it easy. It's an ability that allows people to remember every event of their life with great precision. Well, that was going on with me and it's everything looping all the time. And if that sounds impossible, it is possible and it, 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 it's very rare, but, um, but all, if, if you can imagine having all that on you all the time and piling up, um, I mean, I was like hyper vigilant, if you can imagine, uh, hyper vigilant and hyper acute. I mentioned the dodgeball thing, just like everything was about surviving. And I took, and I also took on this mind of a perfectionist on steroids with a sense that, you know, otherwise I could just never be good enough. Um, it was so intense that let's so the behaviors, uh, in a school lunchroom, you know, and that first time you maybe set a cup down on a fork and it tips over. And then suddenly there's humiliation, laughter, and there's punishment. Um, to this day, I had this, this thing that I started back then where I'd set a cup down and I'd listen for it to go flush on the table. Plunk, plunk. It's real subtle, but I was trying to test to make sure that would never happen again. And you imagine every little mistake you make, you do create these compulsive habits to try to keep you from making that mistake again. Um, and, and just to, just to keep my mind busy while I'm waiting for that teacher to call on me or something, you know, something to happen. I, I got into compulsive, like finger tapping, you know, where you're just, just doing little binary patterns just to get your mind focused. Or I would bite down on my fingers and hold down on my fingers. I'd hide that just waiting for the teacher to call on me to the point they'd almost bleed and I would release right when she called on me to get to, to have the distraction of the pain. And uh, that's, I mean, whether at school or anywhere for that matter, I just like got so terrified to make mistakes and was even conditioned to despise my own appearance. I mean, I had the bleach blonde hair and the pale skin, thick, thin, the, the thick tinted glasses, and my eyes were always drifting back and forth. I just had no over control. I had no control over back then, but but um, much less. I mean, I have that now. But my appearance was enough to make a make me a constant target, and and especially with the eye movement. And and before I would make mistakes like spilling a milk or or reciting from a chalkboard, I would just, I would just be extra careful. And then on the home side, you know, you say, what's going on at home? What's somebody aware of this? Well, and as for home, I had parents and I had a brother, he's 11 years older and um, they're all still alive today. Um, I had a roof over my head, food, food to eat, and you know, all the basic needs that I, I, I never discounted. Oh, woe is me. I mean, I was grateful and I, and I, and I love my parents, but you know, they were human and they had challenges. Um, my dad had a very important job. He's very busy besides their challenges. So, but there's a, like a lack of awareness as to the private war that I was fighting elsewhere. And I, and I don't say that loosely the fight just, I was like fighting a war and in myself and also at home. And first my parents were like, they were distracted by marital problems, which is an understatement, but you know, just suffice to say they fought all the time. And they actually divorced when I turned 18, which was when my dad told me that they, they had been on the verge of divorce right before I was conceived. So so there was always an overwhelming amount of tension and drama in my childhood home, but my existence, you know, prolonged our misery. So, but, you know, and it got worse as my brother got older as it tends to go and 18, he became like rebellious and he was clashing with that. So this is all going on. And aside from those distractions, my brother had to make, he would, you know, he'd make light of the occasions when I would try to, you know, try to cry out. 
And in relative to the story of my first near-death experience that I'm about to share, I would mention at home that I had dizzy spells, okay? Dizzy spells, I'm quotes there, but, you know, he would scoff and compel my mom, even my mom, to think that it was just me, like a normal kid, you know, trying to get attention. And but as for those dizzy spells, as it turns out later, after my first NDE, they were light seizures called petite malls. You might have heard that term, but they were warning signs of something much bigger to come. And on occasion, I also had a type of seizure that you might find interesting. You may have heard of it. It was, it was um, later mistakenly uh, or identified as temporal lobe seizures. And in my case, they resulted in mysterious foresights. And I'm talking about not false you know, not false impressions of deja vu, like temporal lobe seizures is described. These were real foresights. An example would be, I would go, instead of blacking out, I would see an image. I would see something playing out, even though I'm conscious, I'm not there. And, and then and like maybe the next day or the next, I would be like my brother playing in the backyard. I saw this, we were horsing around and, and suddenly um, what I had seen in that seizure, boom, it happened. And, and that right there threw me into an event because it's sort of like being shocked back into, a, it was like deja vu on steroids. I don't know how else to describe it. So anyway, back, to, back to the rest of it. Anyway, I was, I was in being raised to be tough and to adapt. And as the eye doctor had suggested very early on, I was, I was inclined to suck it up and bury, bury things deep down. Um, I certainly was scared to tell my parents about the corporal punishment at school as the school would they would tell me that if I told my parents, they would also punish me. So I was terrified of that. Um, I remember my childhood dream was literally to find peace. And I thought every day about running away to look for it, like literally. I even built, uh, built a place out in the woods where I could move. Um, but, um, and, you know, every night, I mean, from the age six, like my sixth year, every night, I had this checklist. The checklist was, uh, how are things going at church, home, and school? And if anyone was okay... I would be okay with waking up the next day and, and only under the, under that condition. And this isn't like, remember I'm a child and I'm not, this isn't like suicide thoughts. Like I'm going to do something to myself. It wasn't like that. It was just like the will to live um, and, uh, and, and trying to justify that. And, but out of deep despair and honestly, sometimes anger, I would, I would weep into my pillow to be quite frank with. And I pray to Jesus every night. I tell him that I love him no matter what. And then I know he helped me to see, and I remember that. And uh, so I trusted that he loved me, but I told him and I meant it that I really hated myself. I'd come to hate myself and I felt like giving up. I'd gasp, I'd repeat over and over, please help me, Jesus, please help me, Jesus. And I'd pray the words of a traditional prayer. As I said, you probably know what it is. It's uh, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord, my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray you, Lord, my soul to keep. I wasn't just saying it. I was really thinking it. And um, I just felt sort of place and alone as a child under those circumstances that um, by my ninth year, my sense of belonging was just absolutely crushed and my spirit was broken. So I could, I could just barely think of one reason to wake up the next day. And I'm going to tell you the, in, the, the, the near death experience, but um, did you have any questions up to this point? Uh, no, not at this point. No. Okay. Mind if I pause just for a second? To, sure. Yeah. I got it. Here. The weather changed on me today, Jeff. <laughs> so I'm like, I got to take some cold medicine. Uh, so, um, but you know, on the but on the eve of um, 
a most dreaded day at school in 1975. I just finally couldn't think of a reason to wake up. What was going on the next day? It was um, there was a to be a test, and I would probably fail the test because I, you know, I was required to do all the required reading, but I couldn't. I just, I mean, I had I could have taken stock and aspirin from from eye strain headaches. I couldn't get it done, and I was going to fail. And I knew that if I failed, I would be taken down to the principal's office and the corporate punishment. I dreaded it. And, uh, and that was it. I just didn't, but the next day I woke up and to my surprise, my mom comes in and she says, um, it's a bad winter day and the schools are canceled. I got to go to work. Dad's got to go work. And your brother's here, you know, cause he worked all night, but, um, we're going on. So, Oh, great. I was so relieved, but, um, I got up and I had this, um, Jeff, I, and people know, I know what a migraine is. I've had migraines. This, what this headache that I had was, 10 times worse than a migraine. It was like, Jeff, no exaggeration. It was like my head was cracking in half. And I, I, would, I mean, you can imagine with a headache like that, I was going to go and lay on the couch and, and not to be too graphic, but this is what happened. I'd throw up and then I would go to another part of the house and I would another, another spare bedroom. I'd lay down and do the same thing. And by the, you know, I, I didn't call mom. I didn't call dad. I, I didn't uh, wake up my brother for the reasons that I've already explained building up to this. So like, Pretty much answered that. I just didn't feel like I, I one, I was scared that if, if they saw the mess I made, I was going to be in trouble for that, let alone um, that, you know, they, I wasn't sure that my brother would believe me. And so I, um, by the time my mom got home that end of that day, he was still in bed and uh, she came, but she saw this mess all through the house, you know, and, and she found me on her bed. I had thrown up and, um, and there I was. And she, uh, and I actually remember her coming in. Although she said I was delirious and, you know, just, you know, babbling, you know, babbling. And um, uh, so what happened, um, you know, what happened at that point was so um, it's so hard to describe that I, uh, Jeff, I'm going to read to you just an excerpt from my, from my book, because it, it was hard to describe the indescribable. But at this point, my brother, uh, according to my mother, once my brother entered the room, because he, you know, he came out of his room at that point, what's going on. And, and, uh, and I remember him come, I remember him saying, Oh, he's just, and then I just faded abruptly from, you know, the, that delirium to just complete unconsciousness. Mom's recall that's consistent with my recollection, recollection of that incident. So straight away, my brother grabbed me and rushed me to his car. And as he raced us to the hospital with me on my mother's lap, my whole body went into raging convulsions at, um, at, at that time, I was her, at, my mom could uh, all mom could do think to do was hold me tight so that I might not injure myself. And then, as quickly as the seizures began, at, and just so you know, that was a grand mal seizure. Um, it ended, and so too did my heart um, apparently stop breathing. And uh, and and it was like five minutes before we get to the hospital. So stop breathing, no heart. Um, even though I even though I was DOA or dead on arrival. I enter, I remember in retrospect, and I clearly remember this, that I opened my eyes at admission and that my vision was not impaired as it had been since the miracle that healed me of total blindness. Make note of that. I, I could see the world differently now. Just as mysterious, I did not feel the dizziness and headache that had so debilitated me that day and only hours before that for several years that had also plagued me with ill effects. So, um, and even the soreness was gone from gnawing on my fingers at school. Uh, that was always a constant, but that was gone. Um, 
And with perfect clarity, I could see the doctors and nurses all around me whose eyes were focused down where my body lay flat and motionless on a, on a gurney stretcher. My view and knowledge of the hospital staff were of them rushing me into their operating room and feverishly working to save me. But apparently, they could not see that I was calmly observing them from a sitting position on that gurney stretcher. I felt content. I felt content as was compo- um, and, and was composed as would be extraordinary for a child who is in such critical condition and who, while he is somewhat fully aware and alert despite being clinically unconscious, is being administered CPR, shocked with a defibrillator, and shot in the heart with adrenaline. Okay. And I was not emotionally shaken at the sight of me undergoing the doctor's resuscitative medical procedures. I'm sure most of us would think back to when we were a child and think if this, we saw this going on, we would be like troubled. This, this wasn't bothering me. Sense of peace. So feelings of my desire to die had vacated my thoughts and re- were replaced, not with a fear of death, but instead with a, com- with a comforting sense of perfect peace that can only be accomplished in the cradle of heaven where the soul bonds with the heart far removed from the hopelessness of the flesh. There was that certain air of blessed assurance that for the innocent as well as the blameless, all was well in that timeless dimension where the first things of this life may not pass, but instead they are to pass away and be forgotten in time. So I said, in that divine space where all tears are wiped away, this is from the Bible, where life is eternal and where there is no mourning, crying, or pain, I shed my despair. I shed my despair to return with my soul intact, a sense of belonging, and this clear remembrance of God's peace to inspire me, and now you also with a hope in the face of, adver- of adversity. So before an unseen hand closed my eyes to that region of heaven's backyard, I was possessed by a spirit for peace who would carry me beyond that age of innocence. The profound effect, effect so dramatically altered my psyche that to my delight, I would not further languish in the frustration of my old sleep disorder. Remember I said that, and I'll just tell you what it is in a minute, and the embarrassment that would ensue. The spirit of God's love did not permanently erase my memory of the troubled past, that hyperthymesia, or eliminate the circumstances that most challenged me or, or, they, or did not spare me greater trials and tribulations that would come. Um, I have not denied any such opportunity to experience those, those, those experiences. So um, what, um, what I would go on to say, so drilling more here into the, where the part of the story leaves off in the book, I, I was vitally unstable and unconscious in the IC for two days, for two days, until like that time in my first year when I was anointed and given sight, God seemed to answer the prayers of um, the pastor who came because it's two days later. They know what's going on. So they, they don't know if I'm going to wake up. They know the doctors don't know why I come, won't come back to them, why I keep slipping. Well, they, uh, the, the, the pastor was at the end of the bed and the elders came around again and they're just praying. And here's what happened. So remember, I closed my eyes once in my bed in, in the bedroom. I opened my eyes in admissions and I saw what I described in the book. I close my eyes again, and then suddenly I'm opening my eyes again, aware that I'm opening my eyes, that I'm looking at, I, I, I'm ready to greet the pastor. I hear his voice, and I said, hi, pastor, and, and how are you doing? And I'm, I have this, I'm just like, nothing happened. Nothing, I mean, I'm just like perfectly normal. This all seemed to me like a split second, Jeff. It wasn't like two days to me. It was like, boom, 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 and I'm here, and I'm waking up, and, and, I'm, and, and of course, at this point, you know, everybody's looking around, well, huh? and, it's looked, and, and he's like, well, hi, hi, Jeff. And, 
And at this point, the ICU nurses or doctors are coming around real fast. They're being waved over. And, you know, so they're checking my pulse. And it, I think they're probably concerned I'm going to slip back into this again. And they, they start asking me questions. Do you know your name? Do you know how old you are? Do you know your birthday? Do you, you know, and I'm answering all these questions. Yeah, I know. I mean, I know my age, I'm nine. And, and uh, they said, do you know what happened? I said, yes. And I said, I got really sick. And I'm, and I, you know where you're at? Yeah, I'm in the hospital. And, um, and that's, uh, you know, it was just a parent, a parent in right away. There's immediate parent, uh, immediate changes in me that just were so apparent. One, I've not had any seizures since then. Number two, and I'm just going to say it, you know, it's, uh, it's like the Michael Landon thing. Uh, and I know years later that the, I had a bedwetting problem all the way up till I was nine. Okay. And it was because of all the trauma and the stress, but would you know that ended that night? That first night I was in the hospital, never had that again. That changed. I mean, the effect of the chaos and the trauma came abruptly to a halt. And there were other effects that I can get into shortly. Two weeks I was in the hospital. They kept testing me. They kept trying to find out what in the world happened. They, they noticed that in the, in the, behind my brain, um, you know, back of the brain, there's a place apparently where that, that if that shuts down, it'll shut down all your vital organs and everything. And, and uh, that part seemed to take the blunt of it. And, but they couldn't figure out the cause of it. And they weren't sure if it would happen again, but they couldn't see that it would. So what they did was um, they, 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 they briefed my mom before they discharged me. They said, we, don't, we can't isolate what the problem is. And they asked her to do, um, you know, this is like process of elimination. And they said, um, has he been under a, a lot of stress? And, and my mom looked... And, and, and again, I'm, I'm telling you, it wasn't, it wasn't her fault. She just, for all the reasons I explained earlier, she just wasn't aware. And I was conditioned to not, not bear everything that was going on with me. But, you know, in in later years, I told her all of this and what was really going on. And, and, uh, you know, we just have a great relationship um, today. And we have, we have always. So that was the, uh, that was the end of the first in your death experience. Do you have any questions about that? All right. So from my understanding, you'd never had these seizures, whether they were the petite mall or the grand mall. They all started that one day when you were at home and you had a snow day, right? right. Yeah, I probably wasn't like really clear about the petite malls and the one, the frontal lobe thing. Mm -hmm. I had been having those like for that, like from age six, seven, eight, you know, I, I would come home intermittently and, or yeah, outside playing and come in and, and mention this, but I probably, you know, probably for the first year of it or so, I mentioned it, but I got conditioned to stop talking about it because, you know, like I said, my brother, you know, and you know, it was like kids trying to get attention. And again, they were sort of conditioned uh, or they were sort of advised to, you know, to not pamper me. And I, it went, that was a little overboard. But so, but yeah, I had these little warning signs for a couple of years, albeit they didn't really know how much of this of it was going on. Right. So then that the day that everything went down, I guess you kept having grand mall seizures over and over until you had one big one. They they that day, um the the extreme headache that I told you about, that was a sign that it was about ready to go. It wasn't a grand mall. That was a the, later in hindsight, that was an early warning sign of something big happening and in that part of the brain, you know, head head cracking, splitting right. effect. So right. the one, the grandma happened in the car. Right. And then when I got into the hospital, I was already DOA. That was the end of the grandmas. Right. 
All right. So you're you are having your near death experience. You're out of your body, watching them work on your body. And it sounded like you were kind of in and out of consciousness for two days. Correct me if I'm wrong. And then um, while you were having your NDE, one thing is your vision was completely different, totally cleared up. You've seen things like you've never seen before. Right. It was and, sort of like the, mm-hmm. and did and then I just wasn't really clear. Did you see another being or an angel or God or you just experienced this and then when you finally came to or when you came back to your body, you were cured of all these things? I saw none none of that in this one. Okay. And um it and I've always told people the that in D E it's what I felt. Okay. You know, the con it's what I took away from it. Something happened in there and I was returned in a better state or condition in my spirit than I was when I went in mm-hmm. to bear things to come. Okay. It's like maybe you were only out in and out of your body for a very short time, but when you came to, you'd found out that you were out for a couple of days. Is that what's kind of like you were confused? Right. Like, oh, wow, it's been two days. Well, I wasn't, um, and I closed my eyes to the NDE, and then a couple of days passed. To me, that's a split second. Hmm. You know, close my eyes, and then I'm waking up to, I'm re- waking up in response to prayer being, being uh, you know, prayed over me. Right. And, and, you know, con- here first cause comes consciousness. Then you have black, right? Mm-hmm. Black, because I've not opened my eyes yet, but I know as I'm opening my eyes, what I'm opening my eyes to, if you can imagine, I'm opening my eyes knowing what I'm opening my eyes to. Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. All right. So what was the next? Uh, well, first, just immediately after the, I, I have to return to the real world, right? After mm-hmm. that first NDE, and you can say, what happened there? Well, you know, when I first returned to the classroom in that moment, um, when we all first saw each other after the two weeks, I mean, I'm talking about the teacher in my class. I was in my A for two weeks, but they knew I'd been in the hospital. I felt different about them before than before. I mean, they had all made me feel like dirt, Jeff. I mean, I was scared and alone, you know, as, as though I, as though I didn't matter, but mm-hmm. it was as though I had been taken aside for a short while by God and shown otherwise. And, you know, they, they would ultimately get back to their cruelty, but they, um, can no longer keep me from the truth that God is with, with and cares for me. And their cruelty um, would still be hard to bear, but it wasn't so. I mean, it wasn't overwhelmingly so with the you know the weight of the big, the big lie removed, as I call it, and that's their effective lie that I didn't matter. Whether they wittingly did that or not, that's the way they. That was the lie that they projected on me. So, and remember that my mom had me start playing to play music by ear in church earlier um when i was young um and since i was eight years old well jeff this is sort of amazing i mean when I, after my first nde some church hymns took on real meaning to me i mean they would often play in my head in that in that channel that constant looping channel that hyperthymesia where 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 such words are like sweet assurances in my in my struggle to not drown in floods of bitter memories i mean words such as the following i mean they resonated in my heart just listen i mean i don't know if you know hymns but these they stuck in my head all the time love lifted me when nothing else could help love lifted me another one shackled by a heavy burden neath a load of guilt and shame 
Then the hand of Jesus touched me, and now I am no longer the same. He touched me. He touched me, and oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know he touched me and made me whole. Another one, why should I feel discouraged? Why should shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven, heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. Oh, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watched, watched over me. I sing because I'm happy, because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches over me. And that's uh, that's from Scripture in the Bible. And it said, uh, and Amazing Grace says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. T'was blind, but now I see. So, I mean, I found this spiritual connection and support in music. And some people say, well, I, you know, I get a lot out of music too. You got to realize that this is like at a whole higher level going on. I came back attuned to something and I'm, and, and I'll explain how that goes here in a minute, but this itself is a very supernatural thing. I mean, over 30 of us in that church orchestra, we would, Jeff, we would be playing music and there's no roadmap. It's like, here's a, a list of songs and some key signatures, but they change things. We would change keys at the exact same time and change songs without a plan or an apparent signal to do so. And I was usually the first, like one of the first ones to re- hear where it was going. I mean, undeniable to me was that at times, uh, I mean, at, was at those times we were all connected and being directed by some unseen presence. And there's a verse in the Bible that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. I mean, to musically come, Jeff, into that supernatural zone where I could like regularly experience how it feels to be so moved in unison by the by the Holy Spirit. I mean, it was spiritually a great comfort and gave me like this unspeakable joy. There were many times when I would need to catch my breath or compose myself before I could continue. And I'm still it was still a child. And, you know, because of how because of how meaning would apply to my life um, or, I, or I would hear or receive a sound or even hear a message, Jeff. That was not was not even in the foreground to hear a voice in the in that wasn't even there, but I could hear it. So I mean, at at as as the as time grow, rolls on up to my age of nineteen, when the for, when the next when the next NDE occurred, I mean, words like sometimes with music, but sometimes like just like puzzle pieces. I mean, I found that that such streams like held a meaning or a message for me. They just come to me. And, um, and sometimes I could be like an answer to a prayer or an answer to prayer, not yet prayed, but I would ultimately come to sit down and decode all these little pieces. I was, my, sometimes I get over the course of a couple of weeks and then not even realize what they are, but then they put together. Um, I would see how they should be put together and what was in store. And I'll tell you, I've held, I've got a whole, like, it's like a diary. It's like I've held dear those memories, those, those milestone creations of my life and music like letters from a loved one, you know, to, to me, they were like of the Holy spirit. It was comforting and guiding me and strengthening me since that first NDE and, and preparing me um, as was needed, but, you know, not sufficiently coming from anywhere else. I was still very much a loner in terms of coping with that war that I was fighting. So um, at the age of 19, the next NDE, uh, do you have any questions before I continue? Nope. We're up to that point now. Nope. Let's move forward. All right. This is, a, this is a very different one, and I, I probably different than some of the ones that you've had on the channel, because this one, this one came about in a very different way. Um, so what happens is um, the hyperthymesia, that was still with me, okay? <laughs> and so, Jeff, can you imagine what, was, what it would be like if you were 19 years old? Maybe I'll 
you're, you and I are both in our 50s now. Can you imagine if you could not forget anything? And it was all looping, I mean, decades looping all the time. I mean, can you imagine how cluttered your mind would be all the time? Well, that was still an issue. Well, you know, uh, like I said earlier, I was always aspiring to, you know, improve myself and to, you know, make a life for myself. So um, technology, you know, this is like the early 80s, you know, early desktop computers and so on. I was interested in, um, you know, you know, technology. And so I, at the age of 19, I got lucky and I got a little like a assistant job working with a programmer who was doing some coding for a, um, a, 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 a psychiatric clinic, you know, just an outpatient thing. And um, I was, while I was working in there, there was a gentleman, <clears throat> a counselor, um, you know, I'm, I'm not an introvert. I, I engage and talk to people Well, he was talking to me a little bit. He started to discern in me. I think he discerned in me that, that I had this memory, you know, I was re- playback stories and things like with crystal clear accuracy, but he got sent down and asked me about this. And, and then I got to tell him a little bit, at least my 19 year old version of the woes I was dealing with. And he said, I can probably help you. He, he was, he was a counselor who, who did hypno, hypnotic therapy on adolescent um, terminally ill children. And, and, and this isn't like the, you know, the, the side, the sideshow act at the carnival where you, and, and it makes uh, make them bark like a dog and cluck like a chicken. It wasn't that kind of thing. This is the kind of thing where you, you know, you go in as he explained it and you'll have, you know, I will, I will get you, put you under, but you'll have as much control. You'll just be very tuned into me. And I'm going to, um, I'm going to try to teach condition you to um, when you start getting overwhelmed that you redirect your your focus into something your into your passion like create creating music was the top of the list he said what what do you nights of music and and uh you know i like to program so he said well let's um let's work on that so i had five sessions first session went really you know really well he put me under i can remember the whole thing and i'm listening to him and he's you know putting making these suggestions to me and so I go to the second one and, um, and I, I feel really good. I'm starting, I mean, I, and I, every time I left, it's like my mind was clear. It's like I was suddenly able to start, you know, putting away or compartmentalizing and able to focus a little better. Well, by the, by the third session, um, I asked him if I could, I said, I've been sort of doing this a little bit on myself at home as a, just, you know, to the best of my ability because I, it's helpful. And he, I said, can I put myself under? He said, Okay, go ahead. And he, he thought that was a little odd, but he told me, he said, I was just unusually open to doing this kind of thing because not everybody is. So I, I put myself under and I raised my finger. He told me to raise my finger when it was that time when um, for me him to take over. And, and we went through the session. Um, this time I came out and uh, I, I got in the car with my, my ride, happened to be my mom. And I looked at her and I said, mom, this is strange. Give me give me two sets of three numbers. And she did. And I multiplied them in an instant. And I, and I, and I that's not, wasn't normally me because I, my mind was so cluttered normally. And I said, and I kept doing this and it's like, this is wild. And I was like, it was like a high Jeff. It was like a high I could think. And, um, and then I went and I told him in the next session, what happened. And he said, that's great. That's a good sign. And he said that I'll tell you right now. He said, Jeff, I'm telling you that won't, it, you won't always have such an effect. It'll, it'll fade in time, but we hope that the conditioning that I'm giving you right now will stay with you long-term. Said, okay. That's great. Come in the fourth session went the same way as good, you know, clear. He put, I put myself under. So in the fifth session, <laughs> um, that was different. 
I, I put, I went to put myself under and I did, I, I raised my finger. Well, as he starts talking, suddenly it was like, I entered what seemed like a, like another dimension. I mean, I entered it like what I entered it. Like, if you can recall what I did in the past, when I had the so-called frontal lobe seizures, you know, that, and I, and, you know, but without the physical fallout and, and I stopped hearing his voice, um, but remained conscious of where I came from. And, and I've had flying dreams. I'm sure you've had flying dreams before and flying dreams are cool. This was like a flying dream on steroids. I mean, flying dreams pale in comparison. I mean, I had this sensation of peace, like the uh, NDE experience at nine. I, I recognized that, that sensation. And, but this time it was like in full HD or super virtual reality. If, if, if I can use that term, I mean, it was like I was flying like near heaven. I mean, a high stratosphere and, and then there's clouds and I'm sort of like, I, I could push on the side and, and there's like, a, I see a rainbow and, and I, and I imagine going and, and riding on that rainbow and, and all over this beautiful mountainous landscape, um, which is just so crystal clear. And, and, and again, not without the need for glasses, right? It's like, this is visually unlike anything I've seen. And then moving down to and exploring the terrain at will, land, walk around. And I was fully conscious again, where I came from. And I, and like, again, when I had that experience, when I was nine, I, I was, when I was nine, I wasn't really concerned about what was going on. You know, when that happened, when I was nine, well, like that, just like that, I wasn't really concerned about getting back to where I came from. I was having a great time. And to me, I just sort of belonged there. Um, but then I did return um, to the sound of, it's like, closed up on me and black and then I'm, I'm hearing his voice and, and he's sort of shaking, you know, Jeff, Jeff, he's, you know, got my, he's rubbing his hand on mine, Jeff, Jeff. And, and I came to, and I said, yeah, what's up? How'd it go? And he sat back and he had this, this relief on his face. He said, he goes, you weren't there. He says, you weren't responding to my cues. And he says, and I don't think you were breathing. I don't think you were breathing. I doubt your heart was beating. I mean, you were, you were, you were like overboard, relaxed. And, and I'm not sure. I said again, I didn't. Even, I couldn't even pick up a breath on you. And 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 so he was sort of wowed. And he said, "Look, it, this went really well." And um, I and I and I felt great. I didn't tell him at that moment that when I came out of that, I was hearing. You know, in in the, in the physical world, we hear we 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 pick up music sometimes, and we and it's very. I say it's very primitive compared to what I experienced. It's like I brought something back and um, I could hear this in my head. Well, as a, as a songwriter at that age, I was not, um, I was not prepared for what this, what happened. I got home and I sat down, got out of my, my notepad and I got at the piano and I started playing this song that was beyond my skills. And later it's like 13 pages and it's this beautiful song. It's on my website. Um, and you could hear it when we play it here, but, it's on my website and I'm going, I'm just furiously playing through it and I'm making notes about what it is. And there's orchestration I'm hearing and I have time to write it, but I'm making notes and, and I write out, um, I write out lyrics and the, the lyrics, um, just listen to these. And I did all this in 30 minutes. I said, where have you been all my life? Were you around? Could you have been found? I waited to meet someone who would care, someone to remove thorns that would tear. A dungeon's where I lived all alone, a very dark place that I called home. 
till the day when you came and opened the door made of memories, unpleasant memories, you set me free. Now as I stand here, a prisoner no more, I can feel the touch of your soothing love. I'll never return to darken the door that bound my life. Now that it's behind, I know that I am free. You took the time to remember. You showed me how much you cared. Now I can move forward, my eyes gleaming upward. I'm free. Yes, I'm free. Lord, you know. I have been near heaven. I learned how to fly. I once rode a rainbow and pushed the wind aside. You who turned a river and you who calmed the sea. I can move a mountain because you set me free. Mm. And um, that uh, I went back to the next uh, to a week later and I got with the counselor and I showed him this. I played him a, a quick recording of the song and I said, I went home just like doing the multiplication. I got home and I just, this was just, this is like beyond where I'm at. And I, but I, my writing, but this, and, and he sat back and he said, I've never, I've never had seen anything like this, but you know, he talked about astral projection. Okay. So he talked about that and, and, and referred to it. He he did recommend that I not do hypnosis anymore. <laughs> he's, I mean, he said, it's like, no, it's a little dangerous. <laughs> I think it's a little dangerous for you. But um, uh, I would just say that uh, while I haven't had any more of those kind of experiences in my life, the that just the the way the music floods in sometimes, and these little musical messages in a bottle that come sometimes, it's almost like an answer to again, an answer not to a question not yet asked, and then I'll later back I'll go back and I go I know they didn't come from me. This is coming from somewhere else, and I'll find those those meanings. So um, that was the end of the second ND. Mm. Wow, that was amazing. Do you still have those mathematical skills today? No, like you said, that that fades that fades away. It's like some of the some of those those surges of effects would you know they they faded over time, mm-hmm. but but um, there were there were things that did stick though, and and it, one of them was the uh, you know I was then able to start managing that hyperthymesia by the compartmentalization. That was the beginning of that, mm-hmm. and uh, and and so the condition became actually more of an advantage to me than a disadvantage. And I got to tell you, it, right, when writing a book at, you know, over the age of 50 and being able to then open those doors selectively, not have any control, but open them up and be able to pull out such detail mm-hmm. and then close those doors back up. And then that's evidence right there of a huge change. That stayed with me. Are you still writing music? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If you go to, um, if you go to my website, some the ones that I, I'm – I'm comfortable, like, okay with sharing. I mean, some personal, like, dire entries, right? But I don't, I keep to myself. But I put some stuff on my website um, and uh, where I've taken the time to actually record the music and write, put the lyrics and then put the little back, some of the backstory to them. Because all those came from the same place, not quite the same way as the song called Free. It's on the website, it's called Free. But others are up there that um, I felt like they were, you know, beyond me and came from beyond me. After all these experiences, do you fear death? No, honestly, I don't. Mm. I don't, and it, it just that ends because now, now I know mm. I'm not alone in this in this universe. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's like you just once you're gone there, you lose that. I don't believe you saw God or Jesus. But would you still consider these religious experiences or spiritual? Well, you know, religious is a is a is a is a word that um, I don't. I, so it's a spiritual experience. Mm. Okay, 
it's a spiritual experience. And, and if, if someone says, well, you didn't see Jesus, there's this thing that happens when you, when you believe and you, you discern. Okay. That, that's the faith aspect of it. And it's not just because somebody told me it was Jesus, but, um, and I know you said you're not a religious person, but if you could just take it in good faith, no pun intended, uh, that's, you know, as an intelligent person here, as a reasonable person and, and open, I'm not a closed person. I've, I've reconciled to myself that that was Jesus. I mean, just think about what I said. I was, I was a young child who knew he had gotten healed of sight and was praying constantly, praying constantly for Jesus to help him. Mm-hmm. And then that verse that I referenced at the very beginning of Matthew 18, 10, about they will go to the face of the Father. Mm-hmm. talking about child that i mean what else can i say so after these experiences or after your last nde at 19 did you have any other spiritual or paranormal experiences um i have to say that uh, i've been you know i've been helped along um for sure the uh i say the closest thing that i could uh I mean, God, you know god made clear to me that he's quite real right and still watching over me and i can give you as many examples um, here's some headings. Um, an audible voice uh, from an unseen source once saved me from being run over when crossing a street. Um, there is also a voice that compelled me to sell my house, which led to an inspector who detected a problem with a breaker box that was like maybe days away from catching on fire. Um, another one was I was moved to do the unthinkable for the sake of my daughter's well-being and her schooling. And then she actually was able to graduate from high school this year, very, very year of COVID as a result. Um, uh, another one that, uh, you know, in 2017, I, I, I got this strong sense. My wife's known me for 10 years. She got, we got, she got, I got this strong sense I, that of calamity coming in 2020. And I, and I reared up one day and I told her, I said, I said, you've got to change jobs. You've got something's big's coming. You've got to change jobs. And when you know it, she changed jobs six months before COVID hit the job that she had been in, it ended. And, um, and then um, in 2019, um, you would have thought I was like Noah going around saying it's going to rain. In 2019, late 2019, I started getting this sense something big was coming and, um, and, and, and regarding the supply chains. And I started to, started to look, and I, I was compelled. Again, this is compelling. You've got to get ready. You've got it ready. And I, and I was going to, like, Costco and buying supplies, and everybody's looking at, what are you doing? And I said, there's, we're, there, there's some, something coming, like lockdowns, and I, I just know this is coming. And, um, and sure enough, we know what happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's many examples like that, and I can answer any of the questions if you want more detail about any of those. Have you seen or felt anything that hasn't come to pass yet? No, honestly, no. And I don't get these all the time, Jeff. And sometimes I'll get blindsided, no pun intended. <laughs> I'll get blindsided. And I think, and I, and I reconcile that by sometimes we, you know, it's like, you don't, you don't grow unless you go through something. And sometimes I'm allowed to go through something, but the audible cross, the audible voice that I heard going across the street, Jeff, I go across a busy street. I'm using sound to, to know when cars are coming. I use that. I'm in a busy downtown street. It was an event, a lot of noise. I couldn't hear what basically was a bus that ironically it was one of those handicapped buses mm-hmm. was making um, was was cutting the light and tr- was going to go right in front of me and right before he would have hit me suddenly almost like a loud whisper in my ear that went over all the sound all the ambient voices around me it was like stop and I just stopped 
you know, and this bus went right by my face. After that happened, did you look around and were like, who said that? Because, because of other experiences before, um, the, uh, it was, I mean, this may be hard to believe. I was, I didn't, didn't need to look, you know, I, I didn't feel like it was, I mean, this was like outstanding from the natural world. This was like right up in my ear. What I did was like, the bus goes in front of me. I didn't even think to just question it. And I didn't look to my right. I didn't react. I just stopped. And this is what I saw. The bus coming right by my face. If I take it one more step, it got me. So no, no, this seemed, this was, um, this was just un- uncanny, but similar to what I've other, ta- other times. Were there any things from these experiences that you had that you had to kind of manage them in your life? Like there were negative after effects. Hmm. Negative after effects uh, in, re- in reference to uh, just general, any of your experiences, whether your NDEs or let's just stay with your two NDEs. Um, I mean, the closest, the closest I could answer that question is, um, and, and close friend of, me, of mine, I've, I've told him this before. I said, um, it's bittersweet. Sometimes I'll see something or I'll detect something that I wish I didn't. Hmm. It's like a headache hmm. to know sometimes about I, I, like discernment, that word discernment. Um, I, I've, I've got this uncanny thing where I can sometimes detect when somebody's lying to me. And, um, and I've had some betrayals in my life where I was just given a sense and it, and, and you, you can, you can bring all the body language experts in you want, and they would not be able to say that I had any signals. It was sort of like before I even was looking at that person and, and engaging them, I would just get a sense about it that was contrary to my impression of them. And, um, and, and, and other, there's just, and this is just like this one minor example, but, you know, I'll be in a, I'll be in a room sometimes and I'll feel something that just isn't right. Or I will pick up on something. And um, I picked up before one time on uh, somebody going through a divorce. It's just like the, the, the message in my head went through. It's like divorce. And I called him on a Monday because, I you know, I care about people. And I called him up and I said, I just want to check on you. Okay. And he was blowing away. He says, did somebody tell you something? I said, no. He said, I just happen to be down at my attorney's office right now where my wife and I are getting a divorce. Hmm. And I said, I got a message about that the day before. And I just wanted to call you up and tell you that, um, that I, that I just want to check on you and I care about you. And at that point, you know, um, and that, that would just tell you that, you know, for a, everything that I've gone through, it's led to a purpose. And, um, and that is in part that, uh, I, I, I told you my, uh, synopsis that, uh, you know, I'm a certified chaplain. I mean, I'm an IT guy by trade, but that it led to a path where I really like to work with people and help people. And I've got this discernment in me that that helps me. But sometimes it's hard to bear knowing more than I really want to, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I understand. How have these experiences affected the path of your life? All those things have not happened. Like um, the outcome there's, there's two phases of this outcome. So, you know, after that, I I made it into a major university on a music scholarship. 
right? Hmm. That's, that's, that's an overcoming itself. And I majored in computer science. I don't think I would be able to do that. Um, and there's a lot of other things happening. After that time in the late 80s, I went on to a career as a programmer. And eventually, I went into IT management. I've held high positions, Jeff. And I've been like the go-to guy. And I've always been afforded a living, you know, for me and my family. I'm not been the, uh, you know, I'm not been a dependent person. I've been somebody who's been capable. And I don't think I would have been capable. And um, and it hasn't been like a walk in the park, Jeff. I mean, I, although I came, I mean, although I came far after that second NDE, I still had to work extra hard, you know, to get anywhere. And I'd say much harder than my fully sighted peers, but I came away from the experiences of my youth blessed with, you know, the certain gifts and, and I've drawn upon those over the years to survive and overcome and, you know, some real hardships in some cases, even some great personal loss. Uh, the gifts I'm referring to are like uh, gifts of total reliance on God. I mean, I totally had started from the very beginning to have to learn. I have to rely on God. A pastor once told me, he said, well, you've had to, you did it because you had to. And it's like, well, but I still chose and, and I did. And it's a reliance without expecting, but appreciating everything. There's no entitlement in this at all. I'm going to switch gears with you. Now you're an author of a book. What is the name of your book? And is it available on your website? Yes, it is. Um, so the book is called The Hope in Personal Apocalypse. And it, the subtitle is In View of Heaven's Backyard. It's actually a, a, a book, 12 chapters, and then an intro in two chapters of the next book. And the, the website is jeffulrichlegacies.com. Mm. And there you'll find the book, but also you'll find all the social media extensions and my music and mm -hmm. you know just sort of my place all right is the book also available on amazon it will be at some point i haven't put it there yet right now it's just a um uh, you know print print on demand mm -hmm. all right you said you had social media links so i'm assuming you're on facebook and if so um if people want to reach out to you after this podcast are you a public person or are you private i'm public Okay. If they're on Facebook, they can uh, actually, if you go to Google and you type in Jeff H period Ulrich, mm -hmm. you'll start to see everywhere I'm at. You'll start to see the, the website. You'll see the Facebook um, uh, pages off of the follow me mm -hmm. page and Twitter and so on. Um, and, and there, there's other outlets I'm on as well, but the contact page on the website is a great way to reach me. That's the same email that you and I've been contacting each other on. Do you have any other projects that you're working on right now that you want people to know about? One big thing about me, I mentioned earlier, and I know we're, gonna, we're running short on time, mm -hmm. you know, my chaplaincy that I ended up earning about 15 years ago, which was all another story. But um, I, I've taken that online. And, um, and you know, I, at one point, Jeff, I had over 1.3 million people on my Facebook, page, my Facebook page that I created until Facebook started slowing me down. But what I did there is and that's that is that would be my big project every time i would hear from somebody on that page it was going through divorce we had suicides we had five five other chaplains that were helping people we we, we helped people we re, you know they reached out and they had a personal need we built them up hmm. you know we we built them up and that's that is my personal lifelong project i believe that's the reason why i've gone through so much is because i have a lot to speak to um, any, 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 any despair. I want to speak to that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
and uh, we all have to have a purpose. And I think that is my heart's desire. Great purpose. Yeah. That sounds like that's what your passion is. Yes. That's an understatement. (laughs) Is that Facebook page still up or did Facebook take it down? The, the Facebook page is still there. It's uh, ultimately while I, while I was um, it's, it's under um, it says right now the Christian exchange. And actually I, I had, I had uh, handed it to uh, at that time I had handed it to uh, an organization in California and still working with them on that page to, to try to continue to grow it. But it, uh, it was about that same time that Facebook started to do its little suppression thing. So it, it's, uh, <laughs> it's just now we can hardly reach we used to, Jeff, I used to reach millions of people in a single post. I used to reach, I mean, in, in, in a matter of minutes, I would have hundreds of thousands of comments. Now we can hardly get dozens. And all we were doing was, was perpetuating a message of hope and helping people. That's all we were doing. But you know what? I'm still here and I haven't stopped. And I'll, I'm here for whoever shows up. I don't care if it's one. I don't care if it's a million. And uh, what's life without that purpose for me? It sounds like you've been a chaplain digitally online. Do you ever do this like in person at a church? No, I, I haven't. I encounter people and I work with people. Sometimes they're just people that are outside the church. I, I, wherever they come, wherever they are, that's what you're supposed to do. That's what a, a, a real Christian is supposed to do. It's not, it's not about a program. It's not about a religion. It's about being there for people where they're at. And, um, and uh, as we learn in chaplaincy, sometimes the point is going into a, a room uh, somebody who's ailing and you don't necessarily have to bring words. You just bring a glass of water and just love them. And I think frankly, the whole world could learn, could, could learn a little bit more about that lesson, but I've learned it well. Mm. Yeah. The world needs a lot of love and and they need an, an attentive ear. I received that supernaturally. And, and what was put in me is for everyone. That's great. All right. Speaking of hope, do you have one last message that you can share with all of us? Well, I, I would just encourage anyone who listens to me just to, to believe in Jesus. Just try it. I mean, to experience what I found to be true. There's a verse in the Bible that says, God is close to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. And, and most people know John 3, 16. It says, God, God so loved the world that he gave his son that who believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You don't have to have a near-death experience or a miraculous healing to have that kind of relationship with Christ. Just take it from me. He's there for, for anyone um, who turns to him. And, and that's the most potent message I could ever give. As they say, less is more. And that would be my message. Well, thank you for that message. And Jeff, thank you for your time this evening. I wish you the best. Same to you, Jeff. And uh, you be well. All right. Look forward to that. Thank you. All right. Have a good evening. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.